You are listening to The Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 84. This is The Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At The Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing. You should too. Hello, everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I am your host of The Best in Wealth Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping real people, that's you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, and a wealth advisor, and it's great to be with you today. Thank you so much for listening to the Best in Wealth podcast episode number 84. And today's episode is you control what matters most. And we'll get to that topic in just a little bit. But before we do, I think last week I was talking about the fact that I should be or I should have episodes ready to go weeks in advance. So if I miss a show, I have something to insert. Well, I'm faced with that right now because after today, I will not be in town for the next two weeks as my family is going on a vacation. But do not fear because Scott Wellens is on the ball right now and he is going to bang out three complete episodes in the next 24 hours. So I'm all set to go on vacation, and I can just time these up and sync these up on the website so they show up on iTunes each and every Friday morning for the next three Fridays. How about that? This might be the first time ever I'm getting ahead of the eight ball when it comes to this show, but I certainly didn't want to miss out on the next couple of weeks, so I'm just going to make it happen. You know, my daughter Gracie, she turns nine in the next couple of days, and what she wanted to do on her birthday was go to Great America with two of her best friends. Now, Great America lies in between Chicago and Milwaukee, and it is an amusement park, and she wanted to go so bad. I have no idea why, because when I drive by amusement parks, I think about throwing up. That's how bad it is for me. I get nauseous just looking at roller coasters, but she loves it. And so for the last three weeks, She's been anticipating the big day. Meanwhile, in the last week, my wife and I have been checking the weather because it's been raining like cats and dogs around here. And we saw that thunderstorms were in the forecast. We saw there was going to be rain that was supposed to happen today, the day of the trip. And we obsessed over the weather. Every single night, we'd look at it together and think about how disappointed Grace was going to be if it started raining or if it rained during the entire time she was at Great America. What kind of what kind of birthday is that? And I'll tell you, we obsessed and obsessed over this, almost trying to will the weather to be nice today. 
I had it in my prayers. I talked about it at work. Like I said, my wife and I talked about it every day. We needed the weather to be just right today. And I'll conclude this story at the end, but this goes into exactly what we're trying to get across to in today's episode. So let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. You control what matters most. What do I mean by that? Well, the next 10 weeks, we are going to be in a season and we're going to concentrate on one topic, behavioral finance. But let me tell you something though. This is going to reach far and wide past investing. What we learn in the next 10 week weeks, well, this is going to help you throughout life. Understand yourself better in all of the decisions that you make, not just investing, although we're going to concentrate on investing since this is a money show. And basically what I'm saying is, my friends, we're going to be in book club for at least the next 10 weeks. I listened to a podcast a couple of months ago. I don't even know what podcast it was, but a guy named Daniel Crosby, Dr. Daniel Crosby was the guest and he wrote a book, The Laws of Wealth, Psychology and the Secret to Investing Success. So after listening to the podcast, I went out and I grabbed the book because I love books on behavioral finance. One of my favorite is Your Money in Your Brain. I spoke about this in depth one episode a couple of years ago. But behavioral finance is is relatively new line of thinking in the investment world. But it turns out it could be the most important aspect of our investing. So we want to get this right. And in this book, Dr. Daniel Crosby lays out 10 laws of wealth. I actually spoke of one of these laws a few weeks ago, and, and we're going we're gonna to talk about it some more, but that'll actually be the last law that we talk about. And I'm going to go over a couple of the highlights from the book and then bring in my own experience and my own stories so we together can become better investors and actually just plain old better people, better fathers, better mothers, better husbands, better wives, better friends. I'm telling you, this stuff gets pretty stinking deep. So are you ready to go down deep with me and learn more about ourselves? I hope so, because here we go. Benjamin Graham, one of the, the fathers of modern investing, once said, An investor's chief problem, and even his worst enemy, is likely himself. You see, we are what keeps us from becoming successful investors. You see, we want to fantasize about everything when it comes to investing, except for what matters most, which is our behavior. I do it. Listen, when I talk about these these 10 laws, this is not me just talking to you. This is me learning as well. But we do this 
We look at stocks that may have risen 200% in the last year. We, we fantasize about Apple or Tesla or some big initial public offering that might be coming out that we are going to get rich on. We're going to double our money overnight. Or we think about perfectly trying to time the next great recession and getting out right before it starts and then getting in right at the bottom. I mean, If we could do that, we would be rich. We would be retiring very, very quickly. And quite frankly, this is fun stuff to think about. It makes us feel good about the possibilities that might be out there. The only problem with this thinking is we're horrible at it. We're not good as a whole. And none of us, I repeat, none of us are immune to our own behavior. I sit across from couple after couple, person after person, and I talk about behavior as being our worst enemy. And oftentimes, if I could read minds, I'm thinking, man, these people think, why are you telling me this? I already know this. I already know that I shouldn't time the market. I already know that I can't predict what's going to happen in the stock market. So everything you're telling me doesn't apply to me. I'm telling you, we are not immune. I am not immune to my emotions. You are not immune to your emotions. And this whole thing is wrapped up in behavior finance, and it's called the behavior gap. The behavior gap, quite simply, is the percent return you ought to earn on average, given your risk level. Let's say, for example, your risk level allows you an average of 8% return per year. So the difference between that and what you actually get. So if your bad decisions or my bad behavioral or emotional decisions cause me to, on average over my lifetime, to only average 7% per year when my risk level was 8, well, my behavior gap is 1%. The problem is, I don't even think it's 1%. It's likely way higher than that. One of the most famous studies done year in and year out is what's called the Dalbar study. And I just grabbed a quick stat from the book without going to the Dalbar site. But if you look at 30 years ending 2013, the S&P 500 averaged 11.1% per year. So your stock market or your stock return over that same period should be about the same if you have the same risk level as the S&P 500. The problem is during that same time period, the average investor only received on average 3.69%. We're talking over what? A 7% difference on average per year. That is simply amazing. And the worst part about it is the average investor The average investor doesn't even know that the behavior gap exists because they made money on their portfolio. They started with X amount, maybe $100,000, and 30 years from now, even at the 3.69% per year, you still made a bunch of money. You just made so, so, so much less than you deserved. 
So there are studies out there that say that the Dalbar study is way off. And you know what? It could be. It could be way off. Maybe the behavior gap is much less than what Dalbar represents. But there's been company after company after company that do their same studies and not no one disputes that a ba- that a behavior gap doesn't exist. They just dispute on what the actual behavior gap is. And maybe it's not 7%, but when I looked at all the different studies and 10 different studies, that behavior gap is between 1 and 4%. So it's still huge because even a 1% difference in your investments, they all add up. And I went over this a little bit when I talked about quantifying the value of advice. But think about that. One to four percent. And no one's immune to this. I'm not immune. You're not immune. The smartest investor out there is not immune. Now, let me give you just a couple of examples to get you just thinking a little bit about this. There's a mutual fund called CGM Focus. And between 2000 and 2010, yeah, between the years 2000 and 2010, this fund averaged 18.2% per year annualized return. And between 2000 and 2010, the S&P was at a negative 1% per year. Like this was it. This was the high flyer. This was the best performing mutual fund during that 10-year period. The next best didn't even come close. So you can imagine all the print CGM Focus got. I mean, all the magazines, the news talked about. I mean, these guys are smart. These are really, really smart people running this fund this uh, fund. I ought to get into it. I ought to buy in. I mean, I want 18.2% on average per year. Don't you? Do you want to know how the average investor did in that fund? The average investor during its time in that fund lost 10%. Now, how in the world could that be, Scott? If the fund averaged 18.2% per year, why didn't the average investor get 18.2% per year? Well, at the beginning of 2000, this fund was not very known. And in its early time, it made a ton of money. So those, those early returns, and I don't have numbers in front of me, but maybe that first year, it earned 50, 60%, maybe close to that the second year. Now people start piling in. They learn about these high returns. And what happens when they pile in? The fund loses some money that year. And then when the fund loses money, investors think to themselves, what? This was a scam. I thought that this was a fund that was going to earn a whole bunch of money and I lost money. So then they got out. And then maybe the next year, the fund started doing well again. But if you look at those returns, if you're going to look at a magazine or go to the website and you see the, the five-year average return. Well, in this case, the 10-year, 18.2%. You're like, man, I want in. 
when the average investor lost money due to due to volatility when they got in when they got out from chasing investment returns there was a study done in um 1999 and so during 1999 people that were in 401k's were average putting in 9% per year in 1999 Think about 1999. Wow, things were going really good in the stock market. But what happened after 1999? We started the dot-com bubble. So three years later, the average person was putting 25% less inside of their 401ks. Here's the problem. They weren't putting money in when stocks were cheaper. They started taking money out or putting less in, when the opposite should have been true. But that's not the way our mind works. Not even close. We have a hard time controlling the things that we can't control. And there's, there's no level of intelligence that's going to save us from this. I mean, let's go back to my wife and I trying to will the weather to be good for today for my daughter on her birthday. I mean, that's what a dad wants, right? That's what parents want. They want their kids to have a great birthday. But we spent all our energy and all our emotions obsessing about what the weather might be like, although we can't do anything about it. Not a thing. What we should have been doing is spending our time controlling the things we could control. So what could we control in this situation? Well, we could have tried to help manage Grace's expectations that it might not be a beautiful 80-degree sunny day. We might have came up with a plan B and floated that past Grace to see if if it is going to rain, maybe we could go somewhere else, like something indoor. But no, we stressed out all week long about what the weather might be like. Finally, last night, we talked to Grace about it, thinking she's going she's gonna to burst in tears. And instead, she, she shrugged her shoulder and said, ah, you know, if it's bad, let's just go to the indoor water park up the street. She didn't even care. All she cared about was being with her friends. And we spent all of our time obsessing about the things we can't control. Does that happen to you at night sometimes? When you can't fall asleep, do you start having anxiety and go to the really bad, dark places? You know, not to throw my wife under the bus, even though I do it a lot. She does that all the time. If she can't sleep, she starts going off into the the worst places ever. Like, our kids are going to die tomorrow. We're going to get into a car accident. All of the, the worst things. She freaks out completely. And you know what happens next. She wakes me up. That's what she does. And I have to try and calm her down a little bit. But there she was, obsessing about the things that she can't control. Benjamin Graham, the investor's chief problem, and even his worst enemy, is likely himself. All right, so we know this now. I mean, we're smart enough 
to know that nobody is immune to his or her own behavior. But what can we do about it? Now that we know this, what can we do about it to become better investors and honestly, to become better people? Well, I'll give you two things that you can take away right now. Just two, so easy. Number one, admit that you are not immune to your own behavior. Admit that you are your worst enemy. Admit that a behavior gap exists in your life when it comes to investing, that you're not getting every dollar you deserve for the risk that you're taking. Admit that. That's our very, very first step. Isn't that the first step in every 12-step program? Admitting that you have a problem, and we all have a problem. I have a problem managing my own emotions. So that's number one. Admit that you have a problem. Number two, commit to the next nine episodes. Because the next nine episodes are going to teach us all the things we can do to keep our behavior in check as family stewards, as we build wealth and build up our cornerstones so we can live the life we want to, so we don't die with regrets, okay? Do those two things, admit it and then commit to the next nine episodes. And these are gonna be short episodes. They're not gonna be that long. Well, depends how much babbling I do, all right? That's it for today, you guys. Have one heck of a great weekend. That is if you're listening to this on the weekend. And I will see you next week, pre-recorded. I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance with compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.